On this episode of The End of the Bench, we will discuss the GOAT game between Rodgers and Brady. Is Le'Veon Bell actually coming back, or is he just going to keep teasing us like he's been doing all season? The MLB Awards finalists have been revealed. Cy Young's, MVPs, even Rookie of the Year's. We'll discuss all the awards, and you know, I think one guy, I think one guy got snubbed. We'll talk about that towards the end of our show. And uh, those four o'clock Sunday games, dude, those were those were freaking lit. Straight fire. So fire. Plus, we have an interview with in-studio host of the Minnesota Twins, Treasure Island Baseball Network, Chris Atterbury. Yes, I did work with him, so it was nice to work with him. And uh, it was a great interview. We talked about his long career in broadcasting, and uh, and he's actually had some pretty funny stories along the way, so we'll listen to that towards the second part of our show. And we have a brand-new segment tonight called Bench Player of the Week. I think that's going to be an interesting one. Guys that... Really kind of uh, not not giving the spotlight and legit coming off the bench to give us some uh, some pretty cool highlights along the way. So, uh, all right, let's get started. Welcome back to another edition. This is episode three, Liam. Episode three. Of End of the Bench. Today... It was Tuesday, November 6th, and the Knicks have crushed your heart again. So bad. We so just bad. finished watching this Knicks game. Heartbreaker, but hats off to Zach Levine. He put up 41. What a savage, dude. Like, And, and we were just talking before, and I, I haven't really been like so, uh, I guess, in tune of what's going on with the NBA last, like I guess, like the end of the year last year and then the beginning of this year. Levine is turning into like a decent player. Yeah, man, he's he's that guy for the Bulls right now. They really don't have anyone else. But yeah, I was wondering, like, is this going to happen a lot? Is it like, is your heart going to be broken this many times? No, like, this I was mean, a great game all in all around. Like with Alonzo Trier, who will, will be, we will be talk about him towards the end of our show. He played great off the bench again. Yeah, I mean, I kind of expect this. It's the Knicks. Porzingis is out. They have a lot of older guys and who aren't playing, and then obviously younger guys who they're just trying to get minutes and reps. I had no idea Courtney Lee w- was still on the team, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, he's just been hiding on the bench like pretty much all season. But that it's going to be the usual. Nick's going to be losing, and I'm kind of happy because I want him to get a good pick. But you know, as a fan, and I turned into a pretty big Knicks fan over the past you few have. years. It just it sucks to see your team lose, especially in double overtime. Yeah, that was rough. I mean, the fact that they came back, they played great in the first overtime. I mean, Cantor almost hit that half-court shot. Yo, I would have gone wild. Shot. That would have been wild. But let's get into the our, our topics for tonight. Le'Veon Bell. This guy, it's it was, you know, this is like, he's almost compared to like, remember like the whole the Zeke Elliott situation last year? I'm not saying topic-wise, but every single week we're talking about him. Yeah. Sure. Every week we're talking to Le'Veon. Remember when Brett Favre was retiring, oh, not yeah. retiring, every single week, almost every day we're talking about him. And now Le'Veon Bell, we're still talking about you because you tweeted out today, farewell Miami, and you had 23,000 likes on your tweet. What are you telling us? Are you telling us you're, you're leaving training in Miami and you're coming back to Pittsburgh? Are you going somewhere else and yeah, playing? Where's he going? What are you doing? No clue. I mean, I'm gonna, just by that tweet, it seems like, you know, he's going to Pittsburgh, he's getting ready, he's going to suit up because... I think it's week 10. I don't even know. I don't know what week we're in in the NFL season right now. I'm lost. But I'm pretty sure by week 10, if he doesn't report, then he doesn't get Correct. to be a free agent next season. And that means he can't play the rest of the season. So it's yep. um, it's a little annoying. 
I, this is a guy who, when pads are on, when he's on the field taking taking handouts from Big Ben, is one of the best in the game. We talked about the other week how I th- we talked about last show, didn't we? That about or I think we maybe we just talked about it in general with you and me, but you do feel for him a little bit. The guy's getting franchise tags and he's making a ton of money, but you he wants to make the big bucks. Yeah, he wants that long term deal and it's not guaranteed, so he's gotta get that guaranteed money and the only way to do so is get that big contract with that fat signing bonus on top. It's but on the other side of it, is it that he's doing a real disservice to his team? I mean, James Conner is playing like a savage, but like he's he has he has his offensive lineman just not just they're talking smack about him. They're talking some shit and saying that you know we can do it without him, and that must hurt him. A guy that they've been blocking for years. Oh yeah, winning ball games. I think it's different because they they're really talking just so much crap about him because. He's, you know, he's sending out rap albums. He's been at the strip club. He's, you know, just basically hanging out, doing nothing. I mean, being, he is training. He is training. Exactly. But, but if he would publicize more of his training yeah. than him going out and, you know, partying. showing his songs, partying, yeah. exactly, then I think it would be a better look for him. I don't think he'd be ripped by his teammates as much. He's lost, I think, out of the $15 million that he's making this year, I think, or $14 million. He, uh He's lost, I want, six or seven already? Yeah. Oh, yeah. and I guess not lost it because no one's taken away from him, but it's money that it's basically paychecks that were on the table, and he said, "No, nah, I'm not showing up, so I'm not taking the money." Ballsy move. Hey, oh, yeah. I really wanted to come back because I lo- I loved he was my he's my favorite running back in the, in the oh, league. Oh, he's electric. And ha- watching him do the little stutter steps and everything oh, right before he gets the best. snaps. I mean, I've never seen anyone take their time and still get as many yards as he would. He'll just take the snap and legit like pause for a second, do some quick stutter steps behind the line, and boop, there's the hole. I'm gone. I mean, do you, would you do this the same situation if you had his his level of play? You have all you're making this money of the franchise tag, but you're 26 years old. You want to make the big fat contract, but you know that the 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 length of a running back's career in the NFL is getting smaller and smaller by by the by the day. So it's are you what would you do? I mean, that's a hard one. I mean. You know, I would say I would play for my team because that's just it's like, you know, the moral thing to do, the good teammate in me to I want to play for my team. This is what the Giants didn't want to happen with with Odell. And they, yep. they said, look, all right, they here's, had to pay him eventually. Here's all this money. It's worth it. I think well, it was definitely worth it with Odell. I with all the baggage and all the bullshit behind him with that comes with him. I think it's totally worth it. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I, I get what Bell is doing trying to get his money because, you know, he only has this earning power for so long, especially as a running back. Like you said, the average career of a running back is only three years. So he only has his earning power for so long. So, I mean, get your money. But there's going to be a lot of bad looks, bad optics for you from obviously, you know, us as the media, fans, and then, you know, apparently his teammates. Just to stick with the Steelers for a second before we jump into our top four games. Big Ben is Big Ben is a freaking hilarious man. Like he first of all, he almost what did he say? He almost died. Yeah, so he got hit. <laughs> he got, he got he, smacked around. He got smacked around pretty good on a play. And then you had like probably 15, 16 uh me- medical people <laughs> run over him and they had the perfect He uh, looked like he was passed out. Yeah, they had the perfect uh camera like right over the top of him and he wasn't moving. He, yeah, he wasn't moving at all. After the game, he said, "I thought I died for a second. And he <laughs> must have got the wind knocked out of him so bad to where you know that feeling where you're just like, <gasps> yeah, you can't breathe, yeah. you can't do anything. But it, I don't know. He, he just had to get that burp out, and then he was all right. 
No, it's just like it's like every week, man. Like he just either says it before the week starts, or if it's like during the game, he'll like hobble off a play, and we're like, all right. Big Ben's going to be out for a couple series, but he thinks he's telling all of us always oh, to be out for the whole game. Hey, it's almost walking boot season. I don't know. Ed, but We're it's, getting there. Week 12, week 13, it's coming out. But the fact that he he threw a, he threw kicked a punt, dude. Lefty, too. I'm, dude, I don't was, even know if he knows he's lefty. I, it was so great, man. It was awesome. I was so shook. And I, I, when I saw, I, I didn't even watch. I was watching Red Zone, and I went to the bathroom, and I missed it. But I went on Twitter, and shout out Pat McAfee. He... Of course, he's tweeting all the yeah, punting brand. stuff, and it was that I was he he. I don't think he thinks it's for the brand because it didn't go that far. But the fact it was, you know, Big Ben, fat ass Big Ben, Fat Ben, which I call Fat Ben. He punted that, and I was very impressed. He can't be as good as Brady, you know, doing those coffin corner punts, sticking him right in the end zone. Oh yeah, but hey, shout out to Big Ben. Giving a little punt. Let's transition that right Good, into... Nice job there, Liam. That's my job, Taylor. That's what I'm here for. So I get to pay the big bucks. Let's trans. Let's transition so into much Green Bay money. versus New England. So much we have the GOAT game. It was a pretty awesome game. I think the outcome was what everyone expected. You know, New England taking out the Packers. Yeah. But overall, it was an awesome game. This is the second time Rodgers and Brady faced each other. Which is... It was weird. When I was watching the, the game, they were going through some of the matchups and the all-time quarterbacks... Like Elway Marino played each other, I think, once. Yeah. And you have all these different matchups, and you would think, like, I really wish the NFL scheduled it out better where it was they, they, they played these guys more often. But the fact that we got to see this again, and this is only the second time, could be the last time we see these yeah, two right, guys play. I'm happy I watched it. But Brady played pretty well. He almost threw for 300 yards and a touchdown. But the one thing is that I really feel bad for Rodgers – is that the play calling was fucking garbage. I feel like it's been that all year with Mike McCarthy. Just been a mess. And I guess not all Mike McCarthy because it's on their O coordinator, but even last year they had their O coordinator, got rid of him, and then Mike McCarthy still took over playing calls. And you know what? Typical Packers season, not 2011 when they won the championship. That feels like ages ago, which, I mean, it yeah. kind of is. Oh, but yeah. They, it's, it's, they've had battles with injuries with their with their wide receivers all year. But inconsistencies. Just to think, if he had, if Rodgers had a better play calling system, what kind of talent we would see? Look, he has Devontae Adams, which is one of the best receivers in the game. Yeah, I think sure. you can put him in the, like the top fifteen. Yeah, I would think so. And and then like Randall Cobb, not bad. Jimmy Graham, it's really good. Yeah, he only oh, had his yeah. second touchdown of the year. That's on pretty su- Yesterday on Sunday, yeah, wow. that and that's shocking, right? But you have you just have random guys, and of course, there's, they've never had a running game in freaking ages. Yep. So remember and they just Lacey? got rid of their running back, Ty Montgomery. Remember, remember Eddie Lacy? Remember that? Remember that fat ass running through the the backfield? Yeah, I mean, he was good with the Packers, but when he got to the Seahawks, whoo, couldn't he even was, make weight. Well, he couldn't even make weight with the Packers. He was so big. Yeah. But I don't know. The guy is. Uh, it was a great game overall. But this game, I think, in my opinion, the last game we're talking about, Rams Saints. Game of the year, in my eyes, just because of back and forth. I mean, the statement game, the, the not even statement game, the game that Brady uh, Rogers versus Brady, just the fact that the the scenario and the storyline with the two best quarterbacks arguably in the league, but this game battle the eight and zero Rams versus the the six and one Saints, it was a dog fight till the end, and it was awesome. 
Oh, this was an awesome game. I mean, you had Drew Drew Brees just slinging the ball like classic Drew Brees. You had Michael Thomas doing that awesome Joe Horn. Okay, uh, I will say something. That was that that is the best celebration of the year. I know we're 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 almost done with the season, but there hasn't really been that many celebrations that caught my eye. I know the Seahawks did something funny on Sunday, but this goes down as the best celebration of the year. Pulling out from two thousand and three. The Joe Horn uh, is Joe Horn, right? Yeah, Joe yeah. Horn. Joe Horn play, which, to be honest with you, I didn't even know this was a thing. I mean, I guess we were pretty young when we when we saw oh, this. Oh, definitely. So, but he said that he bought it from a, from a liquor store. I mean, I'm not shocked. You see that phone? Yeah. I haven't seen a phone like that. So I, even Those phones are being used before I even got a cell phone. But he put pulled but one phone on each side on, on each. Oh, he doubled it. Yeah, you know what? That's that's great idea. That's some good information because I was thinking after I saw, I was like, I wonder if he only put it under you know that one side, and then I'm pretty sure he scored in the whatever quarter it was. It had to be alternating corner, quarters as they switched the field. So I, I was wondering if he you know put them in both or put just the cell phone on one to make it interesting. But again, Todd Gurley he scored a touchdown. What's new? Uh, Jared Goff had a pretty good game, threw for 391 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick, but obviously couldn't get it done. They had a pretty sick attempt at a comeback towards the end of the game. Oh, yeah. They played like crap pretty much the first half, and then the second half you saw a little bit of, of that Rams team, and the Saints only got one score in the second half. Did they limit? They limited Todd. Oh, two Gurley, scores actually. They limited Todd Gurley under 100 yards. He only had 68 yards rushing, which was the the biggest part of the game. And I think how many times? Did he, yeah, this is the craziest part here. Drew Brees and I got sacked once. That's with that defensive line and adding Flower, Fowler, Fowler. Excuse me, thank you. Yeah, with me there. But adding Fowler, Dante Fowler, Aaron Donald, Robert Woods, Ndamukong Sue, and then obviously they have like probably the best corner coverage in the league with just Marcus Peters and And all those guys. Talib's out, and that's the problem. I think Talib being the number one guy, and he's out. Peters did not look good at all. He was not in sync. He was not ready. Michael Thomas, that one, he, it was actually the fourth quarter when he got the the, the seventy two yeah, yard yeah. or seventy one yard touchdown. That I think is the thing that's kind of fucking them right now is that not having to keep to leave in the in the in with that veteran presence. Yeah, they have tons of veteran presence on the line, but losing that and having Peters be that number one guy out there, well, it's a little more pressure, but. I'm not worried about the Rams, and I don't think you are either. But this game was fucking unbelievable. Awesome and, game. I mean, if you love offense, this is the game to watch. There are only three total punts during the entire game. One for the Rams, two for the Saints. So it was a pretty awesome game. So you, you agree that Michael Thomas is the best sellie of the year? Yeah, I would say. So far that I've seen, yeah. Definitely. Uh, I just That's the first one that comes to mind. Oh, There's you really know what? Else I want to say mind. Troy Aikman. Chill the fuck out, dude. <laughs> I was watching the, the watching the game, and you know Joe Buck, our boy Joe Buck, and Troy Aikman got the call, and Aikman's like, he was saying like this is the last guy who in the NFL who can maybe gain some more respect. He's not really a showboater. This is uh, this is unacceptable. I'm also just air quotes here. This is not fully quoted, but something like that. And he was just he was just be bitching that. He's not being a stand-up guy in the NFL, and he shows more respect. Dude, chill out. The NFL has changed from you were playing in the '90s with you. Fuck you and Michael Irving. Get the fuck out of here, man. The guy <laughs> was that. the guy was talking more more shit than anybody else. 
So I don't want to hear it. All right. So I just for the record, Taylor, not yes. happy with the Troy Aikman's take. No, I do like Troy Aikman in the booth, but that was not good. All right, so there were a few games yesterday that they looked like they were going to be games, and then they were just immediately ended with a fourth quarter pick six. We obviously have the Jets. Sam Darnold did not look too hot throwing four picks. No, he did not. But let's move on to the Chargers and Seahawks. I'm seeing them next on Sunday, by the way. Jets Bills? Yes, I am. All right, so we'll get That's a little uh, on terrible. the road with Taylor, right? Yeah. We'll get some fan vids and all that stuff on our social media, right? Yeah, that was uh, that game's going to be hilarious to watch, by the way. But let's oh, continue yeah. with this Chargers. Uh, so Chargers Saints. Seahawks, Chargers, Seahawks. Uh, oh, yeah. There you go. Chargers, Seahawks. It was looking like a good game. And then, of course, you know, Russell Wilson. You don't you think he's going to make a good comeback. You don't think he's going to throw a pick six to basically end the game. That's exactly what he th- does. He throws a uh, pick six straight to Desmond King, who returns it for, you know, nice 42 yards on the TD. Yeah, the Chargers are, I think they're for real. I really do. If Melvin Gordon keeps doing what he's doing, 16 carries, 113 yards, Phil Rivers, I love when he's like screaming on the sideline and like he's just freaking having meltdowns. That's funny as hell. And speaking of meltdowns, Greg Williams, I don't think I hit the over with that, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into that later. But I think uh, Philip Rivers is just used to yelling at a bunch of ta- a bunch of people because he has so many kids. He probably yells at. He, I can he feel the team yet? No, he has eight right now. So, uh you know he's popping some more out. You hey, he that. can get a nice you know seven on seven. Uh, re- you know. Receivers, quarterback think only. If he, think if he gets eleven guys, eleven kids, I would. That would be so funny. I, I mean, honestly, all he needs is one more. That's nine, and then he add him and his wife. Boom, dude. That's all you need. Hell yeah. Um, they can take on the Cromarties once they all become oh of age. Oh my god, yo, that's a new TV show. That's a, <laughs> book it. The Cromarties versus the Rivers. That's a new show. I mean, I think Kamari. Oh, I think Kamari actually has a show. I don't know if it's canceled or not. I know he has one. He ha- he has yeah. or had one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's still on anymore. But it was like just, it was basically just there's a show of him, fucking yelling at his children and going through like how, how many kids does he have? He has like. 20. He doesn't even know that. He doesn't even know their names. Yeah. I saw a clip of him and they said, "Oh, well, like, can you name all your kids?" He got through like three, and then I was like, "Oh, what about the other like you know?" Man, that's not seven, good, dude. That's that's terrible. <laughs> that's really bad. <laughs> But that'd be pretty. How cool the show that would be! Rivers versus the Camardi. That'd be awesome. I like that. But I also I think the Rivers are like probably overall ten years older than all the Camardi kids. Yeah, and they're all probably weird because his dad's their dad's pretty odd. He's an odd dude. Yeah, definitely. He's kind of a weirdo. But yeah, so the the Chargers I think are for real team. I really do. I mean six and two right now. Ah, uh, I don't know, man. I mean, they have a good team. The defense is looking good. Obviously, Keenan Allen. I think it's just a matter of time until he gets hurt. I feel like he gets hurt every single season. It's just, are, are they going to catch? Are they going to catch the the Chiefs in the AFC West? I mean, for it's just those two teams. The Denver Broncos are three and six. The fucking Raiders are awful. They're just as bad as the Giants are. They're one seven. It, it's not. I mean, the NFC West for the for the Ram for the uh, the Seahawks. They're they're way behind. Yeah, yeah, they're uh, way yeah. behind the Rams. So it's. It's more of are the Chargers gonna kind of shit the bed at towards the end of the year? I don't think they're gonna. I think they'll probably finish with nine or ten wins. I think they're gonna be that like that bubble team they are every single year, either you know one spot out of the playoffs or making that wild card game. Oh, okay, so here's the remaining games, right? Okay, Raiders next okay. week, That's seven and two. Broncos could be a dub. Okay, Eight. Cardinals. Okay, so it's three straight weeks of like. Pr- Pretty much a win. That would give them the 9-2, and two, and then that, they have a pretty good shot at making the playoffs. Steelers yeah. are next. Okay. Rough team. Bengals aren't going to be that hard of a game to uh, 
Okay, so I got them at like 9, 10 wins. And then Chiefs, Ravens, and Broncos. The Chiefs and Ravens are going to be tough. You know what? They actually might. I think they'll slide in with that. Right? Like with nice that, uh, card. Yeah, they, they could probably pull off 10 or 11 wins. I don't know. So, uh, all right, let's get to our, our final game, which we just talked a little bit about the Broncos. Texans, Broncos, Brian McManus, who I've always liked watching because he's always been kind of clutch. Not so much in this game. Not at all. Wide right. Wide right. He, uh, let's see, well, how long was it? He. It wasn't a deep one. He missed a 62 yarder from the same spot, like the same game. So, you know, he might have just had a little case of the yips and uh, couldn't make it happen. Yeah, no, but this, this one we talked about, we talked about on Friday. This game, I, I, we talked about this game a little in depth. Of, I'm intrigued to watch it because of, uh, of Thomas's play. He only had three receptions, 61 yards. He got a great standing ovation though, from the Bronco crowd. But uh, you know, again, Hopkins comes in, 105 yards and a TD. And I don't think there's anyone I enjoy more watching them get a sack than JJ Watt. Yeah, it was that. awesome. He he sat Keenum last night on a big play in the fourth quarter. And gets up, throws that you know trademark salute, and he, oh, it's awesome. It is great. I mean, now the Texans are six and three. Broncos flip it three and six. Yeah, and the Texans are that that is their division. AFC South. Everyone else is pretty shitty in that division. Yeah, I mean Demarius Thomas now adding with the Texans. Demarius Thomas, adding Demarius Thomas with already Hopkins, and of course, you know, I mean, you want to add Lamar Miller into that mix and as an offensive presence, but Sean Watson as well. I really think with the defense they've also already they already have, I think they can honestly have a a, a nice path. I think it's to be a, a decent path to the playoff. To yeah, they're, I mean, they're on a six-game winning streak right now. They start at 0-3. They're 6-3. and Lost to the Giants. It's one loss. Yeah, you're right. That's a bad loss. Yeah. And then Edna and Demarius Thomas, like you said, I think it's really big. It basically gives them two number one receivers, but Thomas was really hot and cold last night. I don't know if you noticed. He made some good catches, but he also had like two false start penalties. Or He, he should just not have them. One was a false start, I know. One, he was lined up in a horrible area, and they, they called him for a false, spark, false start. It was basically, he was just in the wrong area. The play clock was about to run out, and, you know, he flinched. But I think it's going to be good for them. Once he gets a little more adjusted to the system, only being there a week, he'll do better. All right, let's transfer over to some Major League Baseball. We all know the season's over, but now this is the fun time in the offseason where... The awards are coming out. Gold Gloves came out last night. There was fortunately no Yankees or Mets that won any Gold Glove. I don't think any Mets won anything. No, I don't think so. I don't really don't care. I don't think they won anything. I don't know. I think they might uh, win. Cy Young, yeah, I yeah. think they win Cy Young. So last night, uh, tonight, Monday night, going into Tuesday. So Monday night, they uh, they came out with the uh, finalists for Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year, Cy Young, and Most Valuable Player. The Yankees have two. Well, they're big-time rookies, and uh, Miguel Antuhar, Antuhar and uh, Gleyber Torres are in the running for the AL Rookie of the Year with Shadeo Otani. It'd be kind of a bummer if it, you know Otani comes out with the with the dub, but there's a really big part of that is that he pitched. Did he pitch a lot? No, but he pitched. When he pitched, he was very successful. Yeah, he had good numbers, but I mean, this is obviously biased because I'm a Yankees fan, but I don't think he had enough of a sample size just overall. To win this, when you have Andujar out there, every one of his stats, batting average, home runs, ribbies, uh, 
you know, even slugging, lived up to the hype of being that rookie of the year. You know what? Uh, with Andujar, Andujar and Torres really showed that the Yankees are going to have a very, very good success throughout the next 10 years or so. If Andujar stays, I don't know if they're going to go after Machado or something yep. or whatever. But Andujar and Torres were phenomenal hitting-wise. I mean, Andujar was horrendous at defense. But I think it's going to be a fun uh, AL Rookie of the Year. But one thing that we were talking about right before we got on, we watched the we watched the unveiling of the finalists. Yep. For the AL MVP, JD Martinez got snubbed, man. You think so? I I really do, man. Like the guy, he he led the league in led the league, American League in RBIs, one hundred and thirty, if I'm not mistaken. He was second in home runs, second in in, uh, in batting average, on base is, was fantastic. The thing was that tr- the voters, I guess, are looking at. They're looking past that. Trout freaking, he led the world in everything. Let me look up real quick. Like he does every season, yeah. I mean, he's just all over the place. Average, OBP, OPS, Maybe. ribbies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a so he led, he led the league this year in on-base percentage, OPS, and OPS plus, and all those are career highs. All those are career highs for Mike Trout, and this is his eighth year. I, did, I interviewed him during the season, and I asked him, how are you – how do you keep doing this every year you get better and better? Is there some secret? What's the secret out of this? And he's like, it's just, it's just kind of concentrate on, on, on your hitting approach and just keep doing the same thing. He's like, well, I, I, I said after I was done, after I was on the interview and I walked away, I'm like, well, can you teach somebody else? Because people are wondering how the fuck are you doing? Every oh yeah. Year? He, so every year since he's been in the league, 2011, he only played about 40 games trout. Uh yeah, he played forty games. But from twenty twelve to twenty sixteen, he was either first or second in MVP. Then last year, boo hoo, he twenty seventeen he was MVP, he was fourth in MVP. But he's in the top five from twenty twelve to twenty eighteen. Unreal. Jose Ramirez had a fantastic year. I think I think I don't even know. Do you think Betts can be Betts didn't even play a full season? He played hundred and thirty Five games, 139 games or something like that? Honestly, I think he's going to win it. He gets a little boost batting from winning the World Series, batting being champ. the batting champ. But, and then so also, I have the question. Do you think – but they're not going to add postseason into this, are they? No, I mean, they're not supposed to, but how are you not going to if you decide everything after the postseason? Like, yes, you don't see it when you look at the numbers, but in the back of everyone's mind, you're knowing what he did in the postseason and that his team won the World Series. I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion he's going to win it he just has the numbers, and then especially with only playing 130 games, a lot of people might say, oh, if he played 162, what's his projected to, I guess, in theory, equalize to the other two uh, candidates. But I so, think All right, so this year, he won a gold glove, and he was an all-star, so I just add those two to the, to the list. So he, bat- he had 136 games, led the league in runs. But applying 136 games, so you're not he hasn't he didn't play. I mean, he probably would have played every single game. Last year he played 153. So he had 129 runs scored, led the league. Batted 346, led the American League. Also led the league in slugging with 640, 32 home runs, 80 RBIs, 30 stolen bases. He was a 30-30 guy. He had 180 hits. Now just to think, 47 doubles. Think if he played 150 games. So that's an extra, you know, 20 plus games. Maybe he played a whole 62. He would have over 100 RBIs. 
probably had 40 home runs, over 200 hits. So I don't know. If you would you take that into account? The time he missed, what he could get. If you were like, if you were voting, I I think a lot of voters don't do that. But would you take into account something like that? No, because what he really should be, you know, judged on is what he put on the field. But I definitely can see how some people will take those numbers and inflate them a little because if he played a full season, you know, he almost missed fifty games. He played a full season. Oh, 50 games. Jesus, I made that 180. If he, he almost missed, he missed like uh, 30 games. So, yeah, you can definitely add in some numbers to what his were for the season, but I don't know. I it, still think he wins it. So, there's, and one more, one more, uh, we'll talk about one more player who I think absolutely should win is Jacob DeGrom as the NL Cy Young. I agree. He's up against, let's see. So, he's up against, um, Aaron Nola and Max Scherzer. Scherzer struck out 300 guys. Nola, this is his first. He had a good season last year, but this this 2018 season was unbelievable. Yep, this is the season everyone's been hyping him up for. Absolutely, and he lived up to the hype. But DeGrom absolutely should be a the Cy Young Award winner. Now everyone's saying, like I would say, one guy in particular, Michael Wilbon from ESPN. Oh, boy. Pardon the eruption. He says wins matter. They in don't. In day and age... They don't. They don't. They really don't. I love, if I was a voter, I'd love seeing 18, 19, 20, 21 wins on a, on a, on a, on a stat sheet. Like, uh, like Blake Snell, who has 21-5 with a 189 ERA. Yep. That's my guy to win the Cy Young in the American League. But this guy, no one scored runs for DeGrom. The Mets couldn't score a freaking run. I think they averaged one or two runs a game. All right, all right, ready? Would you rather have... A one eight nine ERA, okay, and eleven Ks per nine, okay, like he or a one point seven ERA and eleven point two Ks per nine. It's an easy answer. Everyone knows the answer. Low one, lower ERA, exactly. But the guy with the lower ERA is ten and nine, and the guy with the one eight nine ERA is twenty one and three or whatever Snell is twenty one five. Yeah. So I understand that people say wins matter, but when you have no offense and you still put up a 1-7 ERA, that's a walk in the park. Because anyone who has a decent team, you're going to get those extra wins. So yeah, DeGrom might have had 15 wins, but he's still putting up a 1-7 with 11.2K per nine. That's ridiculous. 217 innings, 269 strikeouts, which is a career high. He's had a career high in with an ERA. He had a uh, career high in starts, 32. Career high in innings, he career high in strikeouts. He had the best ERA plus in the nat- in, in the, I think the National League two a two one six two hundred sixteen year ERA plus. If he His didn't have potatoes was, batting for him, he'd have five more runs. And I know people are gonna come at me saying, "Oh, he can help himself." It's National League. Come on. I remember listening to Boomer and Geo, and Todd Frazier was on there, and he said. They asked him, like, so what do you say to him? What do you say to DeGrom when you, you guys can't, you guys are struggling to score runs? And every single game, he's throwing eight, nine innings or shutout ball. Put up three runs for the guy. You know what he says? He says, I'm sorry. It's, that's how heartbreaking is that when you got a, you're a major league hitter. Frazier, look, the past couple of years, he's been batting low averages and hitting home runs, but early in his career, he was doing very well. Yep. All stars. You got to go up to another player on your team, and you got to tell him, "I'm sorry that I can't do my job." I mean, we talked about this the first episode, how Chris Sale went on a complete rant on all the guys on his team, and they ended up putting up nine that game because he needed that run support. I think. I mean, I don't know if Degrom has been vocal about it, talking to his teammates, saying, "Hey, 
put up some freaking runs for me because I need the help. I want to get these wins because it obviously helps us as a team. It helps me personally with my contract or whatever it is. But you got to say something. At least be vocal about it, saying, "Hey, I need these that's guys." That's the to problem. I don't think that, I don't think that's who he is. I don't think that's who he is. Yeah. And I and I'm gonna say it right now. And I'm I've always been a guy like I remember when King Felix won the Cy Young. Yep. And he was 13 and 12. Mm-hmm. And I was I was something like that. And I was I was like, "What are you talking about? How in the world can he win this with a 13-12 record?" Yeah, but he led the league in ERA and strikeouts. Uh, I don't even know. I think he led the league in strikeouts, but it was everything else. It was all yeah. the, the very detail-oriented statistics that a lot of voters are looking at now. Yep. The big analytic part. Like the whip. All whip that. and FIP and ERA plus and this and yeah. that. And no one's looking at the top three, which is wins, strikeouts, and the ERA. Anyway, uh-huh. Everyone's looking at everything else. But DeGrom's my vote. So well, the votings will come out soon. Gold gloves were last night. Uh, manager you will, will hear soon. But... Let's get into our interview with Chris Atterbury. We talked a lot of baseball with him. I did work with him, so I built a nice relationship over the last year. Great guy. And uh, all right, let's go listen to our interview with Chris Atterbury. All right, on today's episode, we have Chris Atterbury. He's the in-studio host for the Minnesota Twins Treasure Island Baseball Network. Chris, thanks for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure, man. I like that you're still getting the, the corporate plug in there. Gotta have it in there. You gotta, gotta throw you guys a bone, you know. Whenever, whenever you guys can. So, for a guy like you that's been working with the Twins for so long, and you've had a long career in in baseball and also just in in the media industry, how did you get your start? You know, we're, us young guys are trying to get our start right now. So, if you can tell us, how did you get your start? Well, I, I think it's in many ways more difficult for you guys now, and in many ways. Uh, a lot easier for you guys starting now. So it's kind of a it's kind of a, a dicey line. Uh, for me, college radio was a big launching pad. Uh, working at the student station, you're afforded the opportunities if you're willing to hustle to, to be around people you can learn a lot from and to do games and to make mistakes and to learn from those mistakes. Um, and then what I did, I was working at the college radio station uh, and I sent out 192 cassette demos that I cut on a reel-to-reel put onto these cassettes and I sent one to every single minor league baseball team. I bought the, the baseball America directory book. Uh, and then I mailed out uh, a letter and a cassette to every single team. And my shtick at the time was I'm from Montana, Montana, just passed the state lottery. So I bought a $1 lottery ticket for every, for every package. So every GM got, you know, a terrible cassette and a poorly written cover letter and, a $1 lottery ticket. So I got, um, I got one response, <laughs> one response out of 192. And you got to, I guess, I mean, between postage and buying the, the tickets and the cassettes, that was pretty much all the money I had in the world. Um, and I got one response and, and that was for, uh, basically if I wanted to come sell, uh, ticket packages to unemployed people and do one inning per home game. Uh, so I stuck it out and did more in college, and then I, I did the same thing again the next year. Um, I went to the baseball winter meetings, all of that for nothing. Uh, and then out of the blue, I got a job at a radio station in Cody, Wyoming. Um, through a friend of a friend of a friend, knew there was an opening. And I threw everything I had in my truck, and I drove to Wyoming, and I did high school sports and made $400 a month for two years. And that, that was the beginning of it. 
Oh my god, I've totally forgot that story. That yeah. is the fact that you sent out all those cassette tapes and only one response. I'm sure at the time you were just thrilled for that one response, but look, <laughs> looking back now, you were like, "Are oh, you got to be shitting me? Like this is this is what I I I put all this effort in and one person only responded to me. It's like do you feel almost a little disrespected or did you did you think that well, was like yeah, a like, thing mean... not coming? Now, you worked with me for a full year, so you know how, how I can hold a grudge. Um, but, yeah, so I was like, it was eye-opening a bit. But by the same token, you know, this was pre-internet. So I didn't really know how things worked, right? You weren't accessible to things. You didn't understand. And now that I've worked in baseball for as long as I have, I realize how annoying it is for all these teams uh, to get all these. Uh, the last thing any minor league general manager wants to deal with is a radio guy. Now I've, I've kind of learned that. Um, but I was disappointed. I was like, wow, there are, there's no chance. What am I going to do? How is this going to work? So I, I took the gig and I, and I, and I was doing, you know, the, the Wyoming stuff and, and it was a great, I had a great two years. There, don't get me wrong, but you know, morning radio and you're, you're recording spots and you're bowling frozen turkeys and you're doing all this stuff. But I, I, I was having fun with it. And then I got a call from a buddy of mine who, I'd gone to college with, and he'd been doing Indy League Baseball in California, and he had gotten a job with the Charleston River Dogs, and that was a Beck Gold playing team, Mike Beck owned it, and he called me from, you guys are going to have to Google this after the show, called me from a payphone in Charleston, <laughs> uh, South Carolina, and I happened to be home, and he said they needed a guy in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and he gave me the name of a guy, contact, the guy's name was Ripper. And I thought, oh, Jesus, gruff old, you know, a guy uh, running a baseball team. And the same ownership group had just bought this team. So I sent in a demo tape, a cassette again from there, uh, from like an American Legion game in Wyoming that I probably did off the back of a flatbed truck. And uh, turns out Ripper was a, a great dude. He was kind of like me, a small-town guy who went off to – he went to Princeton. I went to, to Stanford and then kind of come back to his hometown and – we kind of connected, and I got the job, and that was my start in, in pro ball was in the Indy ranks in, in South Dakota. But even then, I you know, every year you continue to go to winter meetings, you send out the demos. I still have a stack, and my wife laughs about it. I have a stack of every rejection letter that I ever got. That's good, though, because it, keeps you, it, it is, keeps you going, right? Yeah, and it's massive, right? It is a massive stack. <laughs> and the one that the, – the, most of them I kind of let go, but there's one that I saved um, – and I was living in Montana in the off season doing uh, college stuff there. And then I was doing the, the independent league stuff and Missoula, Montana got a minor league team for the first time. It was a pioneer league team. And I applied for the job and I already had worked, um, you know, in, in pro baseball and I've been doing college stuff and the guys were obviously new at this and they sent back the smuggest letters. They said, uh, we recognize that you as a Montana guy. Remember, this is a Montana guy who'd gone off to Stanford, graduated there, worked in pro ball, you know, done a lot of stuff. We understand that as a local Montana guy, you might be excited by our arrival. Uh, no, you're a rookie ball team in Missoula. Uh, I just want a job. But that <laughs> this is this is professional baseball, son. And you know, you're certainly uh, you know probably have a long career ahead of you as a local radio guy in a small Montana market, wow. and that's great because. These markets need that, but this is professional, so why don't you leave it to the professionals? And that's the one that I have never forgotten. 
Well, um, screw that, dude. I may, Holy crap. I, I may or may not have emailed him when I got my big league job. I mean, between that guy and then you saying you saved, you know, all of your rejection letters, that's just motivation right there at itself. But uh, you touched on being from Montana. When I was getting some intel before we did the interview with you, I saw that you were a two-time Montana Sportscaster of the Year. Can you expand on that a little for me? Uh, they got to give it to someone, man. They're six <laughs> they got to have, have an even number. No, it was, uh, it was good. I, and I, I won two different. One is uh, was the, the, the Craney Award, and that was one where they, they had a bunch of people that they'd send them to other states and they'd vote on them and we, you know, how'd you sound and blah, blah, blah. And, and I won that one and I, I thought I was really proud of that. And I also was excited because I got 500 bucks with it. Um, the other one was the, the national award. And, and that one, I mean, it was great to win. And let's be honest, I should have won it, right? Like I was working at the biggest outlet in the state and I was doing a good job and I probably deserved it that year. So I won it, but that's the one that I, I guess, I'm happy I won it, but and I know people who've won it in other states. You know, Probus won it here, Folkies won it in Minnesota. But that's the one where if you're a member of the organization, you get to vote. So I feel like it's planted because if there were, you know, five members who were willing to pay their dues to be part of the organization that worked at, at your radio cluster and only one worked at the other guys and he was really good, they might all vote for you. So I've always felt that one was skewed a little bit more, but um, I was proud. You know, I was proud of it. Um, I guess I'm more proud of the fact that that I came up through Montana broadcasting and, and was able to make it to the major leagues um, and to do some bigger events. And, and um, you know, my mentor was a guy who was a broadcaster in Montana for 35 years and was as good a basketball football guy as I ever heard. He was the reason I got into it because we didn't have cable TV and we didn't have you know, pro teams or anything. So everything I had was, was on the radio and, He's a guy who had the talent to go anywhere he wanted and work and, and just got a nice life and stayed in Montana. And I I guess I've never felt that I'm half as good as he was, and that's kind of the standard I always wanted to live up to. But by leaving, I think I was able to show that, you know, you don't have to grow up, you know, and go to Syracuse and live in New York to be a broadcaster. You can do it other ways. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And uh, you also said you went to Stanford. Uh, you know, obviously, there's a lot of notable Stanford uh, alumni in the world, but Taylor said, you know, you like to golf, and obviously, one of the biggest names in golf from Stanford's Tiger Woods. You have any stories with him? Uh, I have one Tiger Woods story. He was a freshman. What was he? No, he was a freshman when I was a junior, I think. But I, we didn't, we didn't roll in the same circles necessarily. But I was doing basketball, and we came home from a late night road trip. I don't know where we were coming. Might have been coming over back from Cal or something. And so I, we come off the bus and we're unloading all our gear at Maples. And the Maples Pavilion was cool because it had a real bouncy floor. Um, and we had a pretty good team back then. Brevin Knight was there and we were going to the, you know, getting beat by that bunch of cheaters at UMass in 216. <laughs> but, uh, but we come in and Mike Montgomery was the head coach and he was wonderful to me. And that's another key for young broadcasters is find coaches that that are special people who will take an interest in you and not just treat you like a pain in the ass. And he was great about that. And we walk in and the lights are kind of dimmed in that. I'm like, Oh, why are the lights on? That's weird. Um, and, and here's Tiger Woods and he's putting. Now the, the court at Maples was springy. It was built on the spring thing that they later found out was terrible for athletes knees, but it was great to play on. Cause like even a little guy like me could touch the rim, but so it's kind of a bouncy floor. And obviously it's a basketball court. It's fast. And Tiger was putting, 
the, the lines on the court, he caught like, you know, baseline to half court line, half court line to center court line. And he caught like the perimeter of the, the key, you know, like the 10 feet from the baseline to the free throw line, then the three feet across the free throw line and try to stop it on all the intersecting points. And apparently he was doing that to practice for the masters. What? Because, because the greens were going to be really fast. And he thought, Oh, I'll practice on a basketball court. This was, this was 96, spring of 96. And, uh, and I elbowed our assistant coach. I was like, are you shitting me? You're going to let a freshman in here to, you know, to scob up the floor. I can't <laughs> even walk across the floor in dress shoes without getting yelled at. And the guy was like, that's tell you what, you do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> and, uh, he was, <laughs> and he, did. he obviously, he went on and he put it pretty well at Augusta. So, uh, if you got access to a basketball court, I guess that's a good thing to do before a major golf tournament. Yeah, that's oh, a pretty cool story. Oh, my God. Because, you remember, you tell me uh, certain stories, but that story I don't think you ever told me. That's that wild. you got to ask the right questions like Liam. Right? Oh, yeah. I guess so. I guess he's doing a lot better than I am right now. <laughs> but let's let's go into the this past 2018 twin season. I, I did work there, and I was able to see some pretty amazing things and some – not so amazing things as you can say as you as you were there as well but if if you can tell me i guess in the the most professional way possible if you or you can you can give me a real opinion what were some of the positives and negatives from from this past season when you saw in the 2018 well the positives huh um i, I think we saw a couple guys take major steps forward uh eddie rosario obviously took a major step forward i think jose barrios took another leap forward in, in his maturation. I think Kyle Gibson um, was kind of like what we call a middle-aged guy in baseball terms. Now, we were wondering the previous season if he was even if he was going to be non-tender. And he comes back and, and he locked it in and became a whole different guy. So those were positives. And the biggest positive of the year for me was the, the Joe Maurer stuff was pretty special. Um, and I, it's one of those things about sports, right, where we live in a day and age where if you don't win the championship – then you're a total loser and a failure. And why'd you even bother coming out here? Um, and if you don't, if you do win the championship, then you're already talking about next year, the next day. Um, so we forget the human side of these, and we forget just how how short the lifespan of these athletes are. As fans, you know, we cheer forever, and this guy's a stud, and this guy's a bum, and then they disappear into the ether, and the next batch of bums and studs come. And so to watch a guy like Joe, who's been such a fixture here for so long, um, maybe play his last games. And the way he did, I thought, was a reminder of the human element, which for me is the reason that sports were interesting in the first place, is that there were flesh and blood, flawed human beings doing a really hard thing and making it look really easy. Um, and so to watch Joe Maurer in maybe his last professional at-bat you know, fell off a bunch of pitches and hammer a two-strike double into the gap in left center. Like, that was a goosebump moment. I Taylor, you were out there for that and, and the reaction to him, and that was a goosebump moment. Then he comes out in the catcher's gear and the whole nine yards. So, so that was the, the biggest positive. The, the failures were many. Um, you know, it was a gamble, and I think we all thought it was a good idea at the time to bring in a bunch of guys on one-year deals who were free agents who were pissed off about how things had gone for them and free agency and maybe had a bit of an axe to grind and you kind of hoped that it was going to be motivating. It wasn't. It was a bad mix. It was a little bit toxic. Uh, at times, I thought Paul did a pretty good job of, of kind of navigating that. And you throw in 
to the blender, you know, Buxton situation and, uh, and, and Miguel. And, and it was really a lost year for those guys. So we came into the year with like maybe five or six young guys that were going to be the key. And two of them moved forward. One of them in Polanco stood in place. And then Kepler and Buxton Snow kind of, kind of spun a little bit. Uh, and the biggest negative is now coming out now because good people are losing jobs. Um, yeah. Paul Molitor is a guy that I, I certainly loved and respected an awful lot. And there's not a, not a smarter baseball guy in the game. And, and, and he loses his job. And I get it because, you know, the front office guys who I also have a ton of respect for, that they, they want their guy. And that's part of – you get it. You might only get one chance to run a team in your life. So you, you better take your shot with your guys. And I get that. And I, I think Rocco will be fine. But Paul losing Paul – you know, is, is there anything really that the manager could have done differently? I don't, I don't know. I find it hard to blame Paul for, for this one. Uh, I was texting with Gene Glenn. You know, when a, when a manager leaves, a staff leaves. And, and, and there's a lot of great guys on the coaching staff. And these guys didn't make billions of dollars, right? Like, these are guys who – like, Gene Glenn has been working in the game for 40 years as a coach, as a manager, as a great instructor. He's a great dude. He's just a great guy. Yeah. Yeah, and he's really good at his job. He's right. been on, what, five big league staffs. He's been a tremendous minor league manager. He's been a scout. He's been a field coordinator. And for years, those guys could survive because when their regime left, they had their connections of 40 years in the game to get them a job in another organization. But now that more and more organizations um, are being run by people who are not part of those networks, well, I, I don't know what happens to some of those guys who have so much experience and knowledge to give and to share, but I don't feel like their experience and knowledge is necessarily valued to the level that it should be by a lot of people making decisions. So I worry about guys like that, like on a personal level, and that to me is a really is a really sad thing because if there's not room in the game for a guy like Gene Glenn or Paul Molitor, like I, mean, I don't know, that's a game I really need to be a part of. Do you see Paul getting a job? as a coach in i guess i mean like he he was offered a a role within the twins and he d didn't want to do that because he wanted to be a manager again but do you see him with the new age of uh i guess of new coaches and everyone all these young guys do you see him getting another job as a, as a head coach in this as a manager I, I in this could, league yeah I, I think he could be a manager but i think it's for him there's more personal elements at play in terms of his family and what's going on with his family and how old his kids are and i don't think paul is a guy who's ready to, to just bundle up and, you know, move to Toronto or whatever, you know? So I think, uh, I think within the game, you will not find uh, a guy maybe with more respect. We've seen a guy like, like Gardy. You know, people said Gardy could never manage again in this day and age. He was too old school that, you know, kids didn't respond to him, that he didn't do the new stuff, but he found a situation where the right people believed in him and in the right situation, they were ready to bring him back. And, I think people get hung up maybe on how old Paul is, but he, he's as smart as anybody in any analyst, analyst chair in any place in baseball. There's he's not too not many Hall of Fame managers out there, you know, and, he, no. and he's he been around the game for so long. He's been a champion. He, he's a, you know, he's got 3,000 hits. He's a Hall of Famer. And for him yeah. to, I think, if he doesn't get an opportunity somewhere else, I think it'd be a real mistake on, on baseball's part. Well, and it's, you know, again, he has to want to go do it, too. Right. Um, it's his family situation. This was such a perfect spot for him. But he has just had so much to teach and, and to give. And, and I think that he is very, very bright when it comes to the, the new ideas. And he's trying new things and the willingness to expand his mind. So you can't paint him with the brush of being an old-school guy in a new-school game. I think that's 
woefully ignorant. Um, but uh, yeah, he's got a lot to give. Um, sometimes I wonder if if the the younger players, and it's through no fault of their own, if they're able or willing, kind of willing, if they're capable of absorbing all that he has to give a guy like that. Because you know, so many of these players, they start. I mean, you guys are young, and when you started, you get put into you know, it's little league, but then it's travel ball, and it's all this stuff, and it's a club sport world where everything is very structured and rigid. Very little of it is just play. Just go out and play. Hey, there's seven of us. Let's make up a game in the parking lot with a with a tennis ball and a cane. You know, there's there's very little of that type of game. Um, we we make the joke that you could drop 18 kids off at a, at an empty field with the bats and balls, and they wouldn't know how to play a game if someone didn't bring them matching uniforms. And and so much of it is set up for showcases and travel ball and who hit the farthest home run. You have five pitches to impress me. How hard do you throw? And I think Paul comes at it at baseball from such a uh, organic way, from such a – and people will call that instinctive, but it really is born of repetition. It's, it's understanding the game, playing the game, putting yourself in those situations because you played in unstructured ways to develop those, those instincts over the course of your life. And so few players do that now because they're overmanaged and they're overcoached from a very young age. When was the last time a catcher in college called his own – Called his pitcher. That's right? true, right? Listen to the dugout. Like, let's let's call it. And if you call the wrong one, you learned you learned how to not do it. I mean, Is that why you think players take too long? Certain players take longer than others because they don't have that independence in, in, in the college level, high school level. I do think so. I think we, we and it's not again. I, I I can't stress this enough. It's not their fault. You know, they they didn't choose this. This is what they've been thrust into by the way you know youth sports are, have gone is that you're in it for yourself, you're traveling around, you're going to play with – there's a third grader at my kid's school. I guess he's a really good hockey player. He flies to Atlanta on the weekend to play for some all-star hockey team. That's insane. Like, you know what? Parents, you should be locked away. Like, I get it, (laughs) your kid's good. But but you know what these kids don't ever do? They never play pond hockey anymore. They're too busy doing drills and skating camps and – and, and, and more drills and more all-star games and rollerblade games and they don't play pond hockey and when you watch hockey what don't you see that great instinctual fun uh you know organic uh fluidity that comes from fucking around with your friends on a pond you know you know like it's like yeah. there's something lost and not just baseball but i do think that that's happened to a lot of baseball players and i think that that's that that's a problem. I think it's wonderful. Who's the, the best player on the planet? It's Mike Trout. And Mike Trout grew up, yes, he played that stuff, but he grew up in New Jersey. He wasn't on the year-round, you know, circuit thing. He played other sports. Like, play other sports. You know, all of those things that happened young, I, I think, help players be better when they get here because, I mean, athletically, we're in a wonder age of amazing young baseball talent out there across the board. Ages, what, 19 to 25, you've got some of the greatest talent, generation of talent we've seen in a long time. But, right. But sometimes I think we just, we over, we over manage it, we over structure Yeah, I mean, I agree. I definitely, I'm all for, you know, play as many sports. Don't limit yourself, obviously, if you're looking even to go pro in a sport. Uh, you talked about Rocco Bodelli before. Obviously, you know, everyone minding Taylor's age knows him from playing with the Rays, and then he had to leave the league, stop playing because of a crazy, you know, rare cell disease. 
uh, he just got hired as the Twins manager. Have you met him yet? And what do you think of the signing? Um, I was excited to hear about it. I know Rocco a bit in passing just from his time with Tampa uh, as a coach and as a player, you know, just to nod and say hi. I don't don't know him well. Uh, I've been fortunate to know a lot of people who worked really closely with him for a long time, and, and you won't hear anybody say a bad thing about Rocco Baldelli. I like his approach. Um, I like how he thinks. He's open-minded. Um, he gets it, but there's nothing soft or coddling about him either. Um, I, I first came to know him when he was a draft prospect because uh, the old wound socket rocket coming out of Rhode Island, he had a volleyball scholarship to UCLA. Now think about that for a second. What? I mean, a, a, he had a volleyball full ride to UCLA, and he had a basketball scholarships, and then he could go play baseball, and he chose baseball. But I always just was fascinated by a guy from Rhode Island who could play top-level volleyball. I always thought that was really cool. Um, so Rocco Baldelli is, 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 is a guy that I think when the different names the Twins were considering were floating around, he was the guy I was, I was kind of rooting for. Um, and so – I haven't had a chance to talk to him since he's been here to get to know him on a deeper level. We're going to start doing a weekly show just after Thanksgiving. Oh, really? Is it like a little podcast? Is it yeah, like a hot well, stove? it's going to be the hot stove show, and it's basically going to be me and Rocco every week, or me and Derek and Rocco, or Thad and Rocco. And uh, and so I'm really looking forward to that, because I, I just I think he's a guy that uh, is a really interesting guy. And and I, I think he's interested in a lot of stuff. And This is one of the boring lines I, I think I've used with Taylor, when he talked about the careers and wanting to be on the air, I always said, "How can you be interesting if you're not interested? You got to be interested in a lot of Ooh, stuff. Okay. Otherwise, you don't have anything to offer, right? You're just mimicking favorite lines. Like be interested in stuff, and then that translates to being an interesting person to interview, to talk to, to listen to. And I think he'll fall into that category. I'm looking forward to it. I will admit, and I, this is a breaking news: I did not go to the little staff meet and greet and his introduction. Uh, because my daughter had her pumpkin party at her school. I, thought, I think, I think that, I, you have better priorities, so definitely I go to that. You get, one, you get one pumpkin party a year, and I'm going to spend like the next 20 Wednesdays with Rocco, so I figured he's <laughs> I mean, look, he's 37. He's, now he's the youngest manager in the game. The the way – I mean, like the whole rumor's coming around. I remember like my last day, um, like the, one of my last weeks at work, it was – Paul gets fired and me and Charlie are in the other room and we're working and we're like, oh my God, who, who's going to be the next guy? And are we going to go young or are they going to keep it with the old, kind of old school vibe? But baseball's turning into the old old school, I mean the new school way with younger managers and analytics. I think Rocco, I think is a perfect fit for, for the Twins for uh, 2019 and beyond. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I know Derek, is, is who I have a ton of respect for, is really excited about this hire as well he should be. Um, and this is something when you want to be a front office guy, I mean, you you don't just knee jerk it. You think long and hard about the type of person you want. And with so much of it now having to be, and you hear the words collaborative and it's a team effort. And with so much of the resources going into the front office and then coming up with a plan and a philosophy and then the data and then filtering the data downhill into the manager's office, you need a manager who can take that data, who can process it, who can met it out. But I also think one thing we're seeing, the age of the superstar manager is gone because front offices don't want to do all that work and put all that financial and people, human resources into cultivating that data and then send it down to the front office. 
and have the superstar manager say, nope, uh, you know, I've been in the game 50 years. I got the gravitas to say no, and I'm not going to do it. You know why? That's just not conducive, right? So if you have a manager who's never managed, which what, Joey Gary Cora, and, I mean, look at all these guys all around, then they don't really have that that uh, 25-year history to say, you know what, no, F it. I'm doing what I do. It's worked before, and it'll keep working. They're more inclined, I think, to be part of something as opposed to the era that, like, I grew up in where the manager was the king, man. The manager was the boss. And those guys are gone. You know, Socha's gone now. Um, and, and Joe Madden's probably one of the last, like, superstar managers out there. There's just not a lot of those guys. Buck, Buck's gone. I mean, the guys who were the heartbeat of their organization, who were the decision makers, who were deciding kind of the type of guys we want and how we're going to use them, they wear khaki pants now. They don't They don't wear uniforms. And that's the direction the game has gone, and that's why the manager's office is, is going to look a lot different. With the direction of that the Twins have gone so far, this offseason signing Baldelli as a new coach, and then now they're not picking up Santana's or, or Lomo's option for next year. What are what do you think the Twins should be doing for this offseason free agency wise? Are they going to re-sign Dozier? I mean, Escobar just signed an extension with the D-backs, so that's gone. I think that was a guy they were kind of looking for. But is it are they going to re-sign Dozier, or who are they going to maybe try and go get to fill some holes for twenty nineteen? Well, I. Th- I think that the start of it has to come from inside, right? The guys they have have to get better. And the number one priority in the entire offseason has to be Byron Buxton. And the number two priority in the entire offseason has to be Miguel Sano. Um, now, they also then have to figure out, is Joe coming back or is Joe not coming back? And, and that changes your dynamic. What do you think, in your opinion, was just time? Joe coming back? I don't think he's coming back. I think it just ended too perfectly. And I think that he's about to have a baby here in the next three weeks. And, I can't think of a more perfect Joe-like ending than that. I will be sad not to see any of his plate appearances again because I just think they're a work of art and a testament to professionalism as far as uh, the, the whole approach of hitting a baseball. Um, if he does come back, I'll be happy uh, for him. It's, I don't think – my tendency is to think no, that he probably not. Um, so, so you start with the guys. What are you going to do with Max Kepler? You know, can Rocco Baldelli get in Max Kepler's head? you got to get your coaching staff together. As far as free agency, I, Brian Dozier's not coming back. I mean, first of all, he, he was not good this year. I don't think it was a great environment here the last year with, with him, and he was struggling. And secondly, honestly, like, the, the dude just didn't play well. He didn't seem right physically, and he didn't play very well. And so – I know Brian's going to want a, a bigger long-term deal, and he had some really great years, but I think the market for a one-position guy like that is going to be a little slimmer. And uh, I hope he goes somewhere and hits a bunch of homers and, and makes a lot of money for him and Renee and Pickle, but I, I don't know. I don't think that's going to be here. Um, I think they're going to go younger. I think they're, they're going to look across the board at free agency at um, some guys maybe they've got some familiarity with. Um, you know, Michael Brantley's out there. Is that a guy through the, the Cleveland time uh, with Derek where you want to bring a guy like that in for his professionalism in the, in the clubhouse because it's not a room that has, you know, the veteran-type guys, especially if Joe leaves. Um, and there's a guy that's a little less risky than a, a Lynn or a Lomo in that regard. Um, I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I know that, you know, Losing Johnny Steele off that 40-man, Taylor, I don't know how you overcome that. 
uh, after he got claimed yesterday. So they'll have to they'll have to figure out that one. But if you want one name, the guy that I think who bettered himself obviously during the postseason, and there is some familiarity with the guys in our in our front office. Uh, Nathan Evaldi is a guy that I think he probably would, would try to throw some money at. That'd be a really good pickup. I mean, he he absolutely shoved for the Red Sox this postseason. Oh, yeah. Definitely. But uh, just one last question before we let you go and uh, you know finish up your errands for the day. Basically, every broadcaster that we have on, we ask them a quick question. You know, something near and dear to our hearts. Are you a fan of Joe Buck or nah? Uh, you know, I, I got to be honest, I don't watch him a whole lot. Um, and when I watch TV at home, it's usually with the with the sound off. But I have a I have a lot of respect for what he's been able to accomplish. I thought about changing my last name to Buck or Scully several times as a, <laughs> player, um, as a young broadcaster to try to, to get my way in. His his week where he did those the, the the World Series games plus the football like incredible. That's a grind. That's that's awesome. And to to have a job and and the job that everybody in the world who watches you thinks they could do your job better than you're doing it, and to just keep moving on with it. I feel like he's mellowed a bit and kind of almost started to have fun with it in the last couple of years. And I, I loved him on, what was the, the show? Uh, oh, the broadcasting show. You know what I'm talking about. The guy, the foul-mouthed, uh, drunken broadcaster that was on the last couple of years ago. And Joe Buck would, uh, would join him on the show. Um, he, he was, he was um, great, right? He was really funny. And, and, and so I would say, if you had to ask me, am I a fan? I'd say, yeah, because it's really freaking hard to get where he is and do what he's done for that type of audience because you're never going to please him. You're never, ever, ever going to please him. If you're too, uh, you know, homespun and Oprah-fy and the players and make it about the humans, then the X's and O's crowd is, is all over you because you don't know as much as them. And if you get super technical, then the there, people are mad that you're you're too technical about it, and it's just you, you always hate everybody's favorite team, obviously. Uh, so I think he's done a hell of a job, man, to balance that for as long as he has. Um, I, I think that's awesome. I, I think that you know this when Scully retired, there are all these tributes to him as well. There should have been the guy was a treasure, um, and everybody liked to bitch about the fact there hadn't been anybody like him. There's been no more skills, no more storytellers. All these guys these days, they don't they don't spin yarns like Vin does. <laughs> lost the poetry of Vin Scully, blah blah blah. All of which is basically true because guess what? If you broadcast like that, you couldn't get a fucking job. For the yep. last yeah. Yeah. Because they didn't want that. I sat across from a major league baseball team president and he looked at me and he said, Yeah, you're great, but aren't you too smart for this job? And I was like, Fuck you, what? Are you <laughs> Like, was Ernie Harwell too smart when he was writing poetry and music and songs? John Miller's a certified genius, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, Scully's brilliant, but we don't want that. Nope, nope, don't want that. Or I've been told by other other bosses that I've had, TV and radio, they don't talk so much. Hey, enough with the stories. Just give us the down and distance. Hey, you just got to read the tweet from the fan. We don't want to hear about this guy's uncle at Iwo Jima. You know, and it's like... If, if people who hire you tell you, you that they you, – no, we don't want that. No more. But the best guy in the world does it that way, and then we bitch that nobody else tells stories like he does because the entire industry has pinched off that hose for the last 30 years. Well, that's why a lot of sports on TV is unwatchable. 
Well, that was the answer we were looking for. Exactly. Yeah, was that the one? That was the the answer. And Chris, we really appreciate you coming on. Hopefully, uh, you would like to come on another time because we definitely want to hear some uh, more of these stories. And uh, I guess definitely some. Hopefully, the Twins have a a better season than this past year in 2018. Well, the interns will be better. I mean, oh, gotta... whoa. Ooh, wow. Shots fired. <laughs> shots fired. Don't make me come out over there. Let me say this in passing. Taylor was undoubtedly the best dressed intern. Oh, okay. I'm not shocked by that at all. He's always the his best New dressed around here. His New York style, the skinny jeans <laughs> and the shoes. Yeah, oh, my he has God. I would be uh, delighted to come on any time, just uh, not on bowling night. Not definitely not on bowling night, which is Monday night. So that's why you got to turn the day. But Chris, All thank right. you for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks a lot, Chris. All right, see you guys. See you. All right, thank you for Chris Atterbury for coming on. That was a hell of an interview. It was a uh, it was a good time. You know, talking about the story with the with the cassettes. It's freaking hilarious. That was hilarious. Also, I love that Tiger Woods story of oh, him yeah. just chilling, putting in the gym. That's pretty cool. Young Tiger turning now. Who knew that that guy would turn into like the savage he is? I mean. Yes, he's had some ups and downs, but we haven't we <laughs> Savage all? in all the ways. In all the ways, correct. All right, let's start with our, some special segments. Stats with Stone. All right, Austin, he is still in Europe. I don't know exactly where he is. I think he's in Paris, I think. I don't know. We need to get a location on him. We do. So on Thursday, we on Friday, excuse me, Friday's episode, we will get some info from Stone and uh, see how he's doing. We'll, we'll get some uh, a recording of him and see how... If he's alive or not, I think he is. Let's he hope so. He has an answer. We need, we need his producing. He so. hasn't. I know he hasn't answered our group chat in a couple of days. Stones M I N Europe. If you're a European listener, look out for Stone. If we have Cat. some European listeners, that'd be pretty sick. Uh that would be pretty cool. You're right. That's pretty cool. All right, so our stats with Stone this week: James Conner has eclipsed the 1,000 yard scrimmage, 1,000 scrimmage yards for this season, according to our friends at Elias Sports. He is the second player in Steelers history with 1,000 scrimmage yards through the team's first eight games of the season. Do you know who that other player is, Liam? I mean, now I know because we talked about it. But in our <laughs> in our pre-pod production meeting, I said Heinz Ward. Yeah. Because, you know, I figured he runs the ball, throws the ball, does a little bit of everything. It's not. It is how funny it is. It's Le'Veon Bell in 2014. He had 1,086 yards. Wow, okay. And I, you know what, man? We talked about Le'Veon at the beginning of the show. I think it's going to be very weird if he comes back right now and then they're trying to try to split time with him. Hey, James Conner is on pace to get 20 <laughs> touchdowns this season. How many? 20. Jesus Christ. Yep. It's like some Sean Alexander shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember that? He's, oh, of course. Cover Madden. Went to the Super Bowl with uh, against Steelers. Matt Hasselbeck. Yeah, oh, yeah. That they took that out of He sucked, dude. He sucked. <laughs> all Sean Alexander. All right, so stats of stone. James Conner eclipsing the 1,000 scrimmage yards. First stealer. Since Le'Veon Bell. Bingo. Let's move on to top performer. Taylor, who do you got first? I'm picking a Big 12 guy. Yes, it's not Kyler Murray from from local all of my Sooners. But I'm going to go West Virginia's quarterback, Will Greer, who went 28 for 42, 346 yards, three touchdowns, and a game-winning touchdown. And he was hooking those hordes down against Texas. Dude, that clip and they was won the, 42-41. That clip was the coolest thing I've ever seen. They're running onto the field, and you got all the Texas fans, horns up, yelling F you at him. He turns right around and yells, you know, F you, horns down. And he walks in with a bunch of his teammates yeah, on the sideline oh, after, the, after that, that touchdown. That was awesome. That got me hyped. How wild was that, man? I was so pumped. That was awesome. Yes, it was huge. Hey, Will Greer to the Giants. 
Dude, we'll take anything right about now. Yeah. Okay? Big but facts. that was fucking sick. I'm not going to lie. But that's my top performer of the week. My top performer, actually, from tonight, Zach Levine against my Knicks. Put up 41 points in their double overtime win, and he hit the game-winning free throw with .2 seconds left. Gave the Knicks no shot at sending it to three overtime. So, Zach Levine, you killed my team. You killed my heart a little. If you want to see the video, check it out on our Instagram. Good game. Pretty wild. Yeah, he went off. Killed you inside, but you gotta respect. You gotta <laughs> expect it. You gotta expect. You gotta. You gotta respect the the game from Zach Levine. All right, talk about us. Uh, talk about the, the looking for a bookie. All right, so looking for a bookie. We talked about it. Uh, our, you know, well, that was our first episode, right? First episode. We we did. We picked some. We picked what well, we, we. I forgot who we picked actually, but I know we went over three. Yeah, I have every, I have it right here. We went over three on our first looking for a bookie. Looking for a bookie picks. Oh boy. We didn't even get to this. Uh, actually, do we get to this segment? I don't know. We'll get to it in a little. I said, hammer LSU hard with the spread. They were getting 14. Yeah. I took my L. Huge. Hopefully the biggest L I'm going to take all year. They got smacked by Bama. 29 nothing. What do you say? This is the fourth time in, in their history they got shut out? In their history. By, so in the last 25 years, they've only been shut out four times. Okay. And they have all been by, by, by Alabama. Was four times. How crazy is that? Oh, that's gross. It sucked because you were so confident. The confidence was there. You said, I got the research. I looked it all up. Not good. Not good. Not good. Uh, we also took another loss in the Chiefs-Browns game. We went under. I'm pretty sure it was 52 points. They hit the over of 58. Not so hot by us. And then Close. Yeah, yeah, close. And then we picked the money line, minus 110 on Western Michigan over Ohio University. <laughs> Ohio smacked the shit out of them. Smacked the so, fucking uh, shit out of them. Bad call by us. Let's move on to our look for bookie picks. <laughs> Hopefully hey, we get we get three dubs this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's even out. Go to 500. We With the spread pick, we're picking Atlanta over Cleveland. Cleveland is getting four points. I think Atlanta can win by four points. Let's see. I fucking hope so. They better over Cleveland. After last week, you know, Julio Jones finally gets a touchdown. Yeah, shout out to your fans. Team, All 121 right? yards. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> and it was like everyone, it was like he fucking like st- didn't play football for like four years, and then when he gets a touchdown, everyone th- was like praising him. They're like, "Oh my god, finally!" I remember yep. watching on TV. They were showing highlights of guys that uh that have scored touchdowns in the past year, yeah. like offensive linemen that were eligible receivers caught a couple touchdowns and t- two touchdowns in the season, but Julio Jones didn't. But anyway, I think you're right on this one. We'll, we'll get Atlanta in this. All right. Our, for our over-under, we're going Buffalo at Jets. The over-under number is 36.5. We're going under. Buffalo stinks. You got so hard, Nathan man. Pickerman in there. You got <laughs> Jets. Also, you know, Sam Darnold. I throw picks, too. It's going to be... <laughs> You Just, tried. You tried fixing a name. Yeah, in no, there. no. There was Sam no name to fit in there. But Taylor's going to be at this game, so I he'll am. give us some live feed from there. It's going to be a pick show. Was all right. Here we go. Side bet over under on picks six combined. Yeah. Fuck, that's a lot of interceptions, man. That's a ton. Bro, last week they had seven. It's a lot when you combine Darnold and uh, Peterman. All right, so we'll see. We're taking the it's under on like that Keenan, thirty-six and Keenan's a half. Picks. There's two out of the three were tipped, and it's like, yeah, it's. In the stat line, exactly. It's him. A pick's a pick. True, but like if you just look at the highlights, it sucks because like bobbled and like your receivers got to fucking catch yeah, the ball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Darnold's were terrible. They were like oh no that receivers. last one he just floated that up. That last one he floated. That, up. All right, I'm looking at that last one as more of a punt instead of getting that fourth <laughs> down and ending you know right. at whatever there he, the he got did, the extra thirty. Jets defense did play very well. That's what I, I like. I'm liking to see in this game, and I think taking the under is actually. 
Not coming to think of it, not bad. Because both teams can't score. It's November. It's going to be a little chilly. Yeah. Both teams can't score. It's going to be 45 degrees on Sunday. Oh, okay. Yes, but sunny. So, 1 o'clock game. So, um, I'm excited. I'm excited to, uh, to go to this game. It's going to be good. I hopefully have a a ton of alcohol beverages just to numb down the coldness <laughs> and just not even pay attention to the game. All right. Bills, Jets, we're going under 36.5. And, and our money line pick, we're taking the Brooklyn Nets over the Phoenix Suns. It's at minus 110 usual, you know. Is it because of, money of line. Booker not playing? Is he, is he definitely not playing? Booker's definitely not playing. He's been out. Uh, I'd probably say, oh, wait. Oh, boy. Booker oh, might be fuck. playing. He just checked into the Suns game today. So, uh, I guess, you know, oh, yesterday. Fuck. We are so, fucked. all right. Well, I'm taking this anyway. Uh, I'm employed by the Brooklyn Nets organization. I work for their GLT and Long Island Nets. I'm repping some Nets right now, the shirt and the hat. We're going to still taking the Nets over Phoenix. Spencer Dinwiddie's been looking nice. Jared Allen is up and coming as in his sophomore year. So this so this is now you're picking them because you are employed by them. Are you pressured? No, I'm not pressured at all. Are you confident? Because, Liam, we're both into this together. So I'm, yes, I'm, I'm confident if my... Higher ups are listening. I'm confident. I'm very confident in the Nets. Because my favorite player, honestly, in the game of basketball, is Devin Booker. My number. That's my guy. Okay. Savage. But you know what? As you and my co-host and my best friend, Nets money line. We're putting Nets it on the table. Line. All right. Our next segment. We have happy birthday. It's Every once in a while, legend. we'll throw out a happy birthday. Absolute legend. If he this this guy was didn't exist, I think would this game even be even be invented? I don't even know. I mean, I gotta say, yeah, because just the concept—it's just you got you got two baskets. Legit, he used baskets, and you're gonna put a ball in the basket and then count a number. Fucking legend, legend. So James Naismith, happy birthday! Also, Taylor brought up to me—he invented the football helmet. Didn't know that. Didn't know that at all. I mean, he must have invented it for basketball, and they're like, "What the hell are we putting on our heads? We're gonna need this on our heads for basketball." <laughs> Bunch of fucking guys running on the court. <laughs> <laughs> with helmets on, yeah, and back in the day, you know, early on, they're like first their layups and they're passing. That's what I mean. Gone. No one was dunking. No one is like no LeBron fouls. drilling their head on the rim. Yeah, no hard fouls. Think of LeBron like just running and then like you're safe. You're like you're like oh, I feel safe with my helmet on and just think of you're football. still getting trucked. Think of like an NFL helmet now, like an NFL hey, helmet now. If I had an NFL helmet, I'd be taking charges all day, all day, right? I mean, that'd, that'd be awesome. That would, that would hurt. And then think of like guys had like actual like pads on. Like you're protecting themselves. All right, all right. Now yeah, we're getting right, into the whole again. CT, uh, you know, NFL discussion. First off, we are the first and only anti CTE podcast. Put that on the record. Yes, we are not fans of that. Uh, all right, so we have a new segment. This is brand new. This is you know a little ode to our uh, name of our podcast. Taylor, yeah. you want to intro it for us? So yeah, so of course our thing's called the podcast is called End of the Bench, and this is called. Bench player of the week. So every this week, is not negative. Don't look at this as negative. No, this is the most positive connotation you can have with being a bench player. We're picking the bench player, you know, that second stringer, that reserve that comes off and shows out and shows, hey, I need to get promoted I off the bench. I got a question for you. What happens if it's a guy like, I would say, he was questionable to start and then he comes off the bench, but it, like he's a questionable to start like a Russell Westbrook. He's questionable, but he's on All right, bench. no, 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 no. Has to be legit. Second like, stringers only. Stringers. All right, hell yeah, let's hell clarify yeah. that right now. All right, so our bench player of the week. Alonzo Trier, bro. Nick's Alonzo's Trier. He was an undrafted free agent out of Arizona. Great college player. You've probably seen him in all the highlights and stuff, but for whatever reason, goes undrafted. 
Uh, he is currently with a two-way contract with the Knicks, but they're looking to open up a roster spot to give him that full contract because he has been balling out. Put up 20 tonight, a huge shot that tied the game, the Senate to overtime, and he put up a career-high 23 points against the Mavericks the other day. I mean, this guy just completely taken over that point guard, point guard role at the Knicks. It's awesome. I was just watching highlights last night from that Mavs game. And it's not like, you know, he scored 23 points, right? But it was watching him move with the ball, crossing up guys, making plays, passing the ball. I was very impressed. Now, I, I've always heard the name Alonzo Trier playing in Arizona. I've always, I, I remember watching him in, yeah, in, for uh, sure. on TV. And I just know the name. But I think the Knicks might have something here. He's a decent player. He's young. You know, Fizdale's going to start always these young guys this year because you know they're going to fucking suck and tank. They're probably not going to tank, but they're not going to play well. No, no I'm, I'm all down with tanking, getting that good Maybe pick. Maybe let's get that good pick. But, um, yeah, so that's our <coughs> coffin here. So that's our first ever bench player of the week. And don't be surprised to see him back on here because he's been showing out. Yeah, you think if we can get Alonzo Trier on here. Ooh, that'd be pretty nice. That'd be pretty dope. All right, so that's our show. That was a pretty good episode. Yeah, not bad, not bad. Flowed pretty well. A little uh, late night, but we had a lot of sports to talk of about. Of course. So on Friday, new episode, episode four coming out. We'll talk. We'll definitely talk about college football, which we couldn't talk to tonight. Talk about some NFL picks going over, NFL games going over the weekend. Yeah, we got the playoff rankings coming out. Yep. Actually, tonight, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, we got the playoff ranking coming out tonight, so we'll definitely hash over those. And we actually have an interview with former Super Bowl champion, Brendan London, wide receiver. You might not know the name, but if you listen to this interview, you will know a ton about his his career, short career after a long, I mean, after a terrible injury that he had in the, we don't want, why don't I save it for exactly. you guys? Exactly, I like that tease. Friday. So we got Super Bowl champion for the New York Giants, Brendan London, on the show on Friday. And we'll have some, uh, hopefully, let's have a good millennial mentoring. And I think, let's just say, don't forget to vote. Let's Voting's tomorrow. On If you're listening to this, voting is today, actually. Vote today. That's today, correct. That's Polls today. open noon to nine, I want to say. I have no idea, but I'm going to be voting tomorrow. So any last words? Nope. All right. We'll see you guys on Friday. Put the fucking mic on. Mic is on. Joe cracked it on. Be about us. Be about us.